Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from Mexico, Clint Arthur. He is a provocative truth-telling author of 21 best-selling books, including Celebrity Entrepreneurship, Breakthrough Your Your Upper Limits on TV, and Wisdom of the Men, which is nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. As a speaker, Clint has shared the stage with Martha Stewart, Dr. Oz, Susan Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, Ice-T, and five presidents of the United States. At Harvard, West Point, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, AT&T, NASDAQ, the the London Stock Exchange, and the Royal Society of Medicine. As a, six, as a serial successful multimillionaire entrepreneur, trusted marketing advisor, consultant, and coach to thousands of private entrepreneurial clients and businesses, business owners running on enterprises from 1 million to 1 billion in size, Clint influences well over 100,000 independent business owners annually through his social media platforms, coaching programs, and millionaire business accelerator mastermind. He lives in New York City, sometimes Los Angeles, and El Capuco, with his wife, Ali, and their billion peso puppy. Clint, welcome to the show. Gracias, senor. Very nice to be with you. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm so pumped to have you on today. You are, I can already feel your energy is so positive. Before we kind of get into exactly what you do, I have some very specific questions for you regarding your book, people you've talked to and everything. I always like to ask everybody who is an entrepreneur, uh, how did you get here? Did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs? Did you not? What led you to this? Kind of, kind of. Uh, my mom got fired from her job as being the head textile designer for J.P. Stevens, which is a gigantic textile company, and started her own design studio. She was kind of an entrepreneur in that way. She was an entrepreneur. My dad was an accountant, and he worked for a small accounting firm for many years before he stole a few of their clients and started his own small accounting practice. I never really thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. I remember, I mean, I went, when I was 14 years old, I read about this thing in a book called the Wharton Business School. I -hmm. looked it up in the encyclopedia. It was the best business school in the world. And I decided I was going to go to the best business school in the world because I was hoping that if I could become somebody special who graduated from the greatest business school in the world, maybe my parents would stop fighting. Your parents ever argue when you were growing up? With us, it was like, when weren't they arguing? And I graduated from Wharton. I go home to get the attaboys. What happens? They get into the biggest argument of all time. Dad storms out of the house, slams the door. I turn to mom and go, you know, mom, the way he resents you all these years. Have you been cheating on dad? Well. I'm sitting there thinking, holy cow, where did that idea came from? I never thought about that before in my life. And, and this is, you said that? I said that to my wow. mom. And I'm thinking, what kind of a rude son of a gun asking my mom <laughs> a question like that? And then I'm thinking, holy cow, why ain't she answering the question? And then she goes, pause, pause, pause. He's not your real father. Your real father was a oh. doctor at the fertility clinic we went to for six years trying to have you. And you look just like that guy. And therefore... 
not only didn't I know who I was anymore, I sure as heck didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore. So I call up the investment bank because I graduated from Wharton. Of course, I was going to an investment bank mm -hmm. on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center. And I said, sir, thank you, but no thank you. I decided I don't want to be investment banker anymore after all. Unlike all my friends who graduated from Wharton, everybody was being investment bankers in 1980s. And... I, you know, I, I didn't really even know what entrepreneurship was. And I, what did I do? I moved out to Hollywood. Most people go to Hollywood to lose themselves. I literally went there to find myself. Sure. And I found myself writing screenplays and writing uh, books and going on auditions because when I was in high school, my creative writing teacher was a man named Frank McCourt. He wrote a little book called Angela's Ashes, which won a little prize called the Pulitzer Prize in 1997 for his memoir, Angela's Ashes. And he inspired all of us to want to be writers. I thought I could become a screenwriter. And, you know, I thought that was an entrepreneurial way to turn just words on a page into money. Unfortunately, I didn't get any money from writing screenplays. I became a very special person in Hollywood. I became the Wharton Business School taxi driver. I drove yellow cab number 6087 for more than six years in Los Angeles. And all of my friends were becoming millionaires and billionaires. I chased the Hollywood dream for 13 years until I said, I can't do this anymore. And that's when I got into the gourmet food industry. That was my first real entrepreneurial adventure. I started buying this very special gourmet unpasteurized butter and selling it to raw primal diet co-op in Los Angeles. And then chefs wanted to buy it because it was amazing. And I didn't even understand how amazing it was, but I, I had the best chefs in the world buying my gourmet butter. And then I started building houses, which is a very entrepreneurial thing. I mean, you buy a beat up piece of crap. Can I say that? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, beat up piece of crap and you turn it into a fixer-upper, cosmetic, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. And I bought a teardown. You're into <coughs> architecture. Then I bought a teardown. Then I bought a vacant lot. Then I bought two vacant lots and was building houses all the way through the 2000s. And I made a lot of money. I got very fat and happy building houses and selling butter in the 2000s. And, uh, but I wasn't writing. I had quit writing because it wasn't worth it. And then it came to be October 2008, I was at a men's self-help campfire. What does that look like? It looks like 18 guys naked dancing around a campfire. And I'm one of them. And I saw this one guy jump over the campfire and I noticed he was really hairy. And then I saw the shaman on the other side of the campfire pointing at me. You don't know it yet, but you're already dead. Oh my goodness. What are you talking about, man? I'm the most successful guy on this team. Eight mm -hmm. years ago, I was a taxi driver. Now I'm a millionaire. I was living on a little boat in Marine Del Rey. Now I live in a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. You're already dead. You just don't know it. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but I couldn't stop thinking about it for months. I'd wake up out of a sound sleep. I'm already dead. What does he mean? And then it came to be New Year's Day of 2009. I woke up and pulled out a pad and pen to write my list of goals for the year as I had become accustomed to doing when I was successful as a businessman instead of trying to be a writer and a movie star. And I asked myself the question inspired by the shaman. Hey, it, maybe the guy is right. Maybe I am already dead. I don't even understand what that means. Or maybe if I had 52 weeks left to live, what would I want to accomplish? And that question was a massive question in my life because the first thing I wrote down was I got to write my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School 
because my daughter's 13. She doesn't care what I think. She doesn't want to know anything, but one day maybe she will. She still doesn't. But <laughs> I wrote that book and that really was the beginning of my adventure because I self-published it on Amazon. And here I got a book about what they teach you at the best business school in the world. And the first year that I published that book under my own self-publishing imprint, I sold eight copies. And that sent me on a journey <laughs> where I had to figure out how do you sell books? I went and found a guy named Jack Canfield. He published a little book called Chicken Soup for the Soul. I said, Jack, how do you sell half a billion books? He said, you got to become somebody. You got to be a celebrity. Yeah. You don't buy books from nobodies. You got to be somebody. You got to go on TV. And that started my whole journey of paying a publicist to book me on yeah. my first four shows. I spent six grand to get on four shows, 1500 pop on a pay to play basis, which is not a bad way to go if you can afford it. But then my wife said, why do you keep paying this lady? Why don't you book yourself on these shows? And that really began the whole journey of how do you book yourself on a show? How do you be a good guest on TV? I asked the publicist, what am I supposed to say on TV? She said, you'll figure it out. You know, when you're paying 1500 a shot to go figure it out, it's a lot of money very quick. But I, it took me nine and a half weeks to book my first TV appearance. And my first year, I did a total of 11. The next year, I did another 20 that I booked myself. And my 32nd appearance was on NBC New York. My 57th appearance was on the Today Show with Brooke Shields. She said, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. And Willie Geist goes, uh, you, you know, we all, we all want to climb to the highest mountain, but how do you keep from falling off track? And I said, you got to hire mentors. You got to spend a lot of money on mentors. And he said, you ask yourself a question every year. That's a very good question. What's your question? I said, ask yourself if this was going to be the last year of your life, what would you want to accomplish? That's been my superpower that broke me through fear, procrastination, doubt really launched me. And it took me all the way to the Today Show. And then uh, Brooke Shields goes, wow, that sounds scary. And I said, yeah, when it's scary is when it's great. And I really believe all of those things to this very day. And, you know, now I have all these best-selling books. I've been on 111 TV appearances. I've spoken at, you know, every place in the world, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, NASDAQ, London Stock Exchange, Royal Society of Medicine, major corporations, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, AT&T. You know, that's, that's who I am in a nutshell and how I got to be who I am today. How's that? Wonderful. Uh, there was like a, a there's, a, I make memes sometimes and it would be really interesting if I, I want to go back to this interview because you had two lines that I feel like, oh my God, those are like quotable memes. You could just, they would go viral. Um, I, I can't remember that, but they were so good. That's how, that's how good that was. I want to go back in time just a little bit here about the, when, why do you think when that, uh, was it a shaman? Is that what you said? Or, yeah, or the leader? Shaman. Okay. Why do you think it was so impactful to you when he said that you're already dead? Like, was it, was it his physical appearance? Was it just that you were so ready that, and maybe not even consciously ready for, to hear that? I mean, it obviously had a, it was literally the turning point for you. It definitely was. And fascinating thing is there was a lot of guys there and it wasn't the turning point for them, but I heard it. I was right. the right guy in the right place at the right time. Because the next thing I knew, I was elected to be the team leader of the men's team. And I led everyone. I said, okay, guys, you know, I asked myself this question. What would I want to accomplish if this was going to be the last year of your life? I want all of you to make a list. We're going to live this year. 
as if it's going to be the last year of our lives together. And it was really tremendous experience. Everybody got great results. I made them make a list of at least 20 things that you wanted to achieve. And everybody got 60, 70, up to 85% of their results. Because when you are not afraid of failure anymore, if you, yeah. you know, that's the whole thing. If you're going to die, so what if you fail? Right. Go for it. And yeah. that's the big difference that that makes. I wrote, there's another one of my best-selling books is called The Last Year of Your Life. And there's another version of it, which includes audio and videos of me leading you through exercises and trainings every single week for the 52 weeks. That's called The Greatest Book of All Time. And when I was telling the story of how I changed the last year of your life into the greatest book of all time, in a meeting I had with WABC Radio in New York City, they gave me my own show called The Greatest Show of All Time. I did that for three years on New York City Radio. It's, it's really amazing the way things lead to other things and the way life unfolds. How do you, so I, I really, I, this, this interview just hits me right in my soul because that's I, one of the things I tell my wife all the time is like, I live my life without fear. And that, that's what's been so difficult with me with all the COVID stuff. And like the, the, the amount of fear in society has just been overwhelming for people. I mean, some people haven't left their house in, in two years. So uh, how do you, I, I wonder if you could put this into some kind of an actual word or plan of action or somebody could, somebody could take, um, something from this interview today. And that is, how do you know? So you were pulled back towards, I need to write these memoirs after, after that shaman told you what he mm -hmm. told you. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you, how, like, what, how, what have you done in your life to recognize when that happens, when you can feel the universe, God, energy, whatever it is that's pulling you in that direction. And you know, you need to go there. And then you just live your life without fear going in that direction. And then look at you, Clint, all the positive things that have happened because of that. Like, how does one recognize that? You got to do a lot of work on yourself. I do a lot of personal development, self-help, take a lot of seminars. I, you know, I was on the men's team going every, every week for three hour meetings with my men's self-help and personal development team. And out of that came my Pulitzer Prize winning book because we had a section of the men's meetings, which was my favorite thing. And it was it started off where the team leader would say, hey, does any man need the help from the men or from the team? Mm -hmm. And if a guy had a problem, he would tell us about it. And then we would sit around in a circle and give him solutions for his problems. When I became the team leader, I said, hey, is there any man here? I changed the name of the team from some stupid name to the men. And I said, is there any man here who needs the wisdom of the men? Mm -hmm. And when I heard that come out of my mouth, I bought wisdomofthemen.com and my new book, my Pulitzer nominated book is called Wisdom of the Men. And I talk about the evolution of that. And, you know, I'm 56 years old. I've been writing books a long time. I've been telling stories a long time. I've studied with Pulitzer Prize winners. My mentors include an Academy Award winning producer who produced Platoon, Falling Down, The Fugitive, Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino, Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, et cetera, et cetera, and Oprah Winfrey. I've, you know, I've studied with all these people and have been influenced by them. And I, I really try to be a person who is self-aware and has what I call situational awareness, if yes. that makes any sense to you. 100%. I, I think that has something to do with 
you know, when you're in a situation and something sounds really amazing, well, that's when I focus on that. I write my ideas down, they develop. Wisdom of the men, it, you know, a lot of times, like I wrote a book called The Performance Secrets of Donald Trump. It, three days after I had the idea, I had finished writing the book. And three weeks after I had the idea, I did my first of 10 national and international TV appearances on CNN, BBC, Fox Business Channel. It was a big, big promotional book for me talking about what made Donald Trump a great speaker. It wasn't about politics. It was just talking about him as an orator. And this Wisdom of the Men book was a completely different experience. I came up with this idea in, back in 2014 to write a book about what I learned from the coolest men on, that I had met in my life. And then I whittled it down and developed the ideas because I was intimidated by what a big book this was going to be for me. And then I came up with this idea a couple of years ago. Hey, if all I do is talk about the international superstars and presidents of the United States who I have met and learned from, I could fill almost a 400 page book. And that's what I did. Dr. Oz, Mike Tyson, Mick Jagger, Ringo Starr, Nicholas Cage, Tommy Lee Jones, you know, the five presidents that I've met that fills 330 pages of stories that I wrote while I went to Venice, Italy to write this book. And, you know, and that's another thing is like, you know, you got to learn what are your strengths? What are you really good at? And how to best develop and support yourself in your strengths. I knew that where I wrote the book would make a difference. And I, I, I told you I was intimidated by this book, but when I went to Venice, Italy for the first time, I knew that if I could spend enough time in Venice, Italy, that I could write the book and do it justice. So last summer I went to Venice, Italy for two weeks and wrote the book at the best hotel in Venice, Italy, the Daniele, and walking around the streets and alleyways of Venice in the canals. I, I really, you know, writing for me is the fun part. The marketing of what you do, mm. the marketing of who you are, you know, is, is actually the marketing of who you are, I believe is 10,000 times more important than the marketing of what you do and or what you do. So, you know, all I do is do is work on marketing Clint Arthur as a storyteller, as a celebrity entrepreneur, but the writing of the stuff is, is my real passion. Yeah. Does yeah. That, does that answer the question? <laughs> it does. Well, I think it's about being in tune with yourself. Like you just said, I think, it, I think the, the hyper, what I call it is hyper awareness mm. where you're, you're, you're very observative. I mean, about literally walking into a room, you observe the room, you're interacting with a new client, uh, a new person, and you're, and you're really, it's not, it's not so much looking and judging at them. It's just trying to understand what you're looking at and, and taking that in. I've been working as a coach now for 10 years, right? I'm just a guy. I want to help people. But you know what? I ask the questions that really get to the heart of it all. Like one of my clients who came, I teach this class on how to get on TV news and talk show interviews for free anytime you want. And part of it is a implementation event where you come down to Acapulco, you stay at our villa. We have an 18,000 square foot villa that sleeps 16 people. You come and stay at the villa, room and board included in the tuition. And part of the weekend, I bring in my friends who are ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox TV news and talk show producers from around the country and local shows. And you pitch them and book yourself on shows. So this one guy, I, I don't know, I'm talking to him and I go, and we're talking about like personal stories. One of the things that I, that I think is very powerful is your personal emotional hooks. What are the emotional stories? And I go, you know, did anything happen to you during the pandemic maybe that was emotional for you and your wife maybe? 
He goes, uh, I go, what happened? And he goes, well, we were expecting mm. and we weren't expecting. And I go, hey, if you can tell that story, you're going to get booked on a lot of TV shows. And he had to get permission from his wife. And he did. And he got booked on a whole lot of shows. I guarantee everyone that if you come to Celebrity Launchpad, you book yourself on at least three shows or you get your money back plus $1,000. This guy booked seven point something shows. The average was 7.7 shows this past weekend when we did Celebrity Launchpad wow. 51. That was our 51st Celebrity Launchpad. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know, man. I had this girlfriend. This doesn't relate to business in any way. I had this girlfriend and I'm like talking to her on the beach about her parents. And I'm like, you know, this is when I was in my 20s. My, I was like 28 years old. And I'm, and I'm talking to her about her parents and I'm like, your parents got pregnant with you and that's why they got married. And she's like, oh my God, I just did the math just now. I never realized that. I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I try to be a, a smart listener. Yeah. And to hear what people are saying. And I kind of intuit my way in between the lines. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I hope everybody listening takes what you're saying seriously about about that, and because it's such a powerful tool, especially if you're a if you're an entrepreneur and you're a salesperson, that's half the key. That's half the battle, right? When I interviewed Jocelyn Elders, she was the 15th Surgeon General of the United States, the first Black woman Surgeon General appointed by Bill Clinton. I said, "What's the most important thing you ever learned?" She said, "To listen." You have to be able to listen and hear what people are saying so you can understand their needs. And you're right. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, especially, you've got to listen. And when people come to my events, I'm, you know, I have these events where people tell their stories and we shoot videos of them in different places. And they're very important places. I have one coming up in spring in, in April at the Philadelphia College of Physicians. A lot of doctors are going to want that. So when you listen to what people say, you can help them to solve their needs. That's called selling, right? One time I was listening to a guy, I was at a mastermind and he goes, yeah, I'm committing to the mastermind that next time I come to the mastermind next quarter, I'm gonna have my info product blueprint all set up so I'll know what info products I need to produce. I went up to him on the break. I said, hey, I, I'm Dan Kennedy's Info Marketer of the Year. No one knows more about making info products than me. And if you sign up for my event for $10,000, I will bonus in a special session where I will create with you your info product blueprint, and it'll be better than you could ever possibly do. Boom, he pulls out a credit card. That's the way I listen, and that's the way right. I sell. Yep, solve the problem, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, so you've met a lot of celebrities and, and one of which I, I think so you went to school with Robert Downey Jr. Is that correct? I did. Beautiful. Robert, Robert Downey Jr. And I were in eighth grade together in junior high school, 104. I was Tony in West Side Story oh. and he was in the drama club and they were doing hair and he was the lead in hair. So naturally we became friends. We went to see one of his dad's movies. His dad, Robert Downey Sr. was a movie director his movie we saw was called Putney Swope. I don't really remember anything mm. about it, but after the movie was over, we're walking through Greenwich Village. He goes, hang on a second. He ducks into a candy store and comes out with a pack of Marlboro red cigarettes. Fishes one out, lights it up, breathes it in, holds up the pack of cigarettes and crushes the whole rest of the pack in his hand and throws it on top of a pile of garbage. And I'm like, what? And he goes, I just wanted one. Hmm. 
And that shows you that he had a lot of willpower, but that's willpower is not enough because everyone knows he went on to have a lot of issues, yeah. drug addiction, getting him in jail. Mm-hmm. But then the story weaves in with my wife because Robert Downey Jr. met a woman named Susan Levine. And Susan Levine used to work for my wife. Before I met my wife, she was president of a major production company in Hollywood. And Susan Levine worked in her staff. And then she went on to produce movies, one of which she hired Robert Downey Jr. for. They got romantic, got married. And Susan Levine and Robert Downey Jr. have been a superpower together. They've been on a rocket ride of super success, even more than me, way more than me. It's, it's really funny. And the story, the lesson of Robert Downey Jr. that I share in my book, Wisdom of the Men, is that who you sleep with makes a huge difference. When I was married to my daughter's mother, before I met my wife, I had a, a, a daughter with a woman I met on my travails chasing through Hollywood and the Hollywood dream. And when I got out of that relationship, when she kicked me out of that house, I felt like I was released from prison because I could do nothing right and I could not make any advancement. But since I've been with my wife, everything has been opening up for me and you've heard the bio. So that's been my rocket ride. And it's because I sleep with the right person every single night, a person who believes in me even more than I believe in myself. Oh, I couldn't echo that enough. Same thing. First marriage prison out free. I mean, it felt like a weight was lifted. And now I'm with a, a, what I would consider a rock star wife. I mean, she's just as big of an entrepreneur as I am. So I, I could only echo uh, all of those stories. Gosh, I love that story about Robert Downey Jr. and the one cigarette. Um, it's too bad. I mean, but maybe he needed to lose control for a while to kind of find himself and then get back on the track. I don't know. Seems to have worked out good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Another story that I think uh, would I'm interested in hearing about is uh, you had an experience in Las Vegas uh, with the mass shooting that went on there a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Tell us about that, and and what did you learn from it? Well, I told you I was in the gourmet butter business. A lot of my clients were in Las Vegas. At one time, every piece of bread at Bellagio was buttered with my butter. And I made a lot of contacts, and I took a bunch of my clients to go meet Mike Tyson after his show. He has a one-man show. And we're watching the show and getting ready to have our photos taken with Mike afterwards. And the manager comes out and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, please remain calm. I regret to inform you there is an active shooter event happening right now on the strip. And the safest place for you is to just remain seated. Everything's good. And just please stay calm and remain where you are. 30 minutes later, he says, okay, Mike, Mike has left. We've determined that it's safe for you to leave. If you want to leave here, you're free to leave. So I took all of my clients who were with me and knowing every nook and cranny of every hotel and back alley in Las Vegas from working in food service for so many years, I was able to guide them through the bowels of the MGM Grand out into the self-parking area, out onto Colval Lane. And we walked to get away from the strip because anything that happens in Vegas happens on the strip. We walked to the hard rock hotel. We ate hamburgers and drank milkshakes until 2 AM when they reopened the strip and we could get an Uber and go back. And it was a few months later that we could go back and get our pictures with Mike Tyson. And I said, champ, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, stay humble. (laughs) 
That's exactly what he said. Exactly yeah. what he, how he said it. He's not the only humble celebrity, Caitlyn Jenner. I asked the same question. She said, stay humble. Two Olympic gold medalists telling me to stay humble is the most important thing they ever learned. My whole book, Wisdom of the Men, is all full of stories, most of which get to that question, what's the most important thing you ever learned? How do you, how do, you do that? Do you, I mean, I, I assume you, you're sort of the practice what you preach guy. I'm sure you try to stay humble. What methods do you use? And, I, you know, my biggest problem is, is that I still feel like I'm nobody. Of all, you know, all the things I've done, I, I feel like I'm the same guy I was when I was 19 years old. I really do. Because, you know, I own amazing homes in different places. It, you know, it, it's not the homes. It's not the cars. It's not the money. It's who you become in this whole process. That's really what this is all about. Physical Material possessions really don't really matter to me. Although it's easy for you to say, Clint, you're the one who has all these things. Yeah, but I, I just feel like I'm the same person. I'm, I'm really in pursuit of personal development and personal accomplishment. And when I went on the Today Show, I woke up the next day and I said to my wife, this was January 1st, 2014, honey, I think I'm done drinking. And I've been clean and sober ever since that day. Why? Because my big goal was to get on the today show and to share my unique message. What, if this was going to be the last year of your life, what would you want to accomplish? When I achieved that, I achieved the pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is self-actualization and contribution to society. And that changed me. And that's really, that's really what turns me on. That's, that's why I wrote Wisdom of the Man. I wanted to write a book that people would read and go to for answers and entertainment. Of course, it has to be entertaining, sure. but I wanted, there to, I wanted people to go and read the book because they were going to learn stuff that was going to make them better, but better men and better women. A lot of women read it and love it too because it gives them a lot of insights. But, and, and I pull no punches and some of the stuff in there I say I, I, I get in trouble for because, you know, I'm... I just call it like I see it and I write the books for me. I, I put my heart and soul into it. I want it to be what I want it to be. And I don't care what anyone thinks because I'm looking for pure creative self-expression. Sure. Sure. I think your book is timely because you've, you know, you've overcome adversity and difficult situations. And now, you know, there's COVID for the last two years. And then just today, just last night slash today, Russia, Ukraine, and that whole conflict so there's people are sort of upended and I think floating is the way I would work. And they're trying to look for grounding answers. And you, you tell so many great stories in the book um, over triumphing, triumphing over impossible situations hmm. that uh, impossible, I think, has become one of your favorite words. T tell us about that. So many things that I've done, people would say were impossible. And when I asked Buzz Aldrin, who was a speaker at my Leadership Speakers Academy at West Point, which, by the way, 26 days before the event, the commandants at West Point told me was canceled. I said, what do you mean it's canceled? I got 100 people registered who paid me thousands of dollars each. I got Buzz Aldrin coming. He's a West Point graduate. He walked on the moon. I got General Russell Honore coming. He's a three-star military army, U.S. Army general. He's going to be a speaker here. What are you talking about? It's canceled. They're like... I know it's going to be hard for you, Clint, <laughs> but you're going to have to figure something else out because you're canceled. And somehow 
I don't even know how I was still able to do Leadership Speakers Academy at West Point on the base with those two guys. And I asked Buzz Aldrin, what's the most important thing he ever learned? And he said, nothing is impossible. And then I asked General Russell Honore, and he said, all the opportunities are on the other side of impossible. And I really do believe that this word impossible is put out there as a barrier to entry. And the people who are weak-willed, who buy into the propaganda that the people in power want to use to keep you down, to keep you from trying, to keep you from becoming who you are meant to be, they tell you this stuff is impossible, but all the opportunities are on the other side of it, impossible. And I'll tell you what, uh, I had an event with Dr. Oz, and I get a call from his agent two days before he's supposed to show up. And I already have 142 people in Atlanta at CNN Center who have flown in from all around the world to meet Dr. Oz and get the picture with him. And we're already there during the peak of COVID in August of 2020. And the agent says, he's not coming. He's keeping your money. And you can go F yourself. Whoa. Basically, basically, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the exact words, but that's what he said. And I just couldn't imagine. I mean, I mean, that's the starting point of where mm -hmm. we were. I couldn't imagine that I would get screwed over like that from Dr. Oz. I mean, he's such a gentleman. He's such a smart and upstanding person who I admire so much. And I'd met him. And somehow I was able to make it all, make it all happen from starting with that. I got him to do videos with everybody. And I have another event scheduled with him in Philadelphia in a couple of months. So, you know, truly I have learned. And it, and it began with West Point just being so terrible, but making it happen anyway. I, I've, I've overcome so many impossible things. I truly have learned that nothing is impossible. Yeah, I love that. We're coming up on the half hour here, Clint. And one, there have two questions left for you. One one I like to ask every guest, uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to basically when you moved to California, what is one piece of advice you give yourself? That nothing is more important than being somebody special in the eyes of your clients and prospects. And if possible, that means being famous. And you have to learn how to be famous and you have to pursue that doggedly with 100% focus and determination because it's more important than what you do or sell is who you are. Who you are is the most important thing. Beautiful. Clint, this has been such an honor to speak with you. If I'm sure people who are going to love what you had to say today. So if, if they want to get in touch with you, find, follow you on social media, and then obviously get your book. Where can they go? Clint.com. And there's three T's there. C-L-I-N-T-T-T. -T -T. Why three T's, Clint? I work with all kinds of authors, speakers, coaches, experts, consultants, advisors of all different kinds. One of them was a name science expert. And she said, Clint, I wish you could add another T to the end of your name because the T's always end up on top. And I tried to get Clint with two T's.com, but that was taken. So I got Clint with three T's.com and it seems to work out pretty great. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much. Enjoy Mexico. And uh, I, hope to, I hope to maybe meet you one day in person. You have such a positive energy. Thank you. Thank you. Same here.